verse 10 to 16, and in the few Bibles, it's page number 572. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be a shield or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put, put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deterred, that deserted. And we are in Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to, divo to divorce her quietly. But, he's, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Regan. Let's pray. I had a hard night last night. Not as hard as my wife. She was up a lot. That's life with a newborn. Oh, it's going to be great, they said. <laughs> well, it is, but it's... Some of the best things in life are the hardest things in life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, thanks for the family that you brought around us. Thanks, Lord, for this church family. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit is here with us. And your desire is to grow us more and more in the depth of relationship with you. 
And Lord, sometimes that journey is difficult and we take lots of detours. But Lord, this morning, the prayer is that our hearts would be turned towards you, that you would speak and minister to places in our lives where we need to hear you, where we need a touch of your salvation, where we need to experience your forgiveness and your grace and your goodness in our lives. Lord, may we find that today, even as we look at your word, that you call us more and more deeply towards yourself. Lord, we thank you that you care so much for broken people, that you came and were broken for us. Lord, bless this time. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. How are you doing? Good. Good. How do we respond to difficult circumstances? It's a good question. If you were to say, I never have difficult circumstances, say, come on now. Who are you? What strange life are you living? It's an important question. It's a question that we often don't ask until we're kind of in the middle of it. Um, it's a question that we don't really reflect on until after an event has passed, and then we think, like, I probably could have handled that better. <laughs> or that whole thing really went sideways on me. I was not expecting that. This morning, that question came to mind for me because in both of these passages, in Isaiah 7 and in Matthew 1, in both passages, you find someone who's wrestling with what to do. They're wrestling with their own sense of worry. They're wrestling with God. They're wrestling with the relationship with God. And in one passage, you have a person who chooses to listen to what God is doing and respond uh, in sync with what God is doing. And in the other passage, you have someone who ignores what God is saying and chooses to do what they want to do. And the central question that comes out of both of these is how do I respond then when faced with difficult circumstances? Do I respond with God, uh, aware of what he wants to do in my life and in my world, uh, sort of in sync with, with the message of the gospel, or do I sort of try to carve out my own path and sort of resist him or, or act against him in some way? That's the central question I want, I want us to hold before us as we head into this. I've got a few points of exegesis. Exegesis means to pull up the meaning of the text. So I want to do a few points on what the text is about in both of these passages. Then I have a few points just of pure head-on teaching of, like, here's some application that, that we can live out today. But I want to do both very quickly because I think it's really important to draw our attention to what the text says. Um, the first thing I want to do is talk a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 10 to 16. It's a familiar passage that we're used to, but here's kind of the setup, and it's important to get this in mind. We've got, again, like I said, two people faced with difficult circumstances. One's King Ahaz, and the other is Joseph. Very different sort of circumstances, but they're both wondering, what do I do? How do I respond properly in this situation? Um, I have had uh, situation, situations, I can't get into these details. Hmm. Nope. <laughs> then Nick realized he was in the pulpit. Mm. Um, I've had a variety of situations over the last, now it's super vague, it doesn't even apply, over the last several years, no, that didn't work. Um, I've had some situations, so have you, where you are just downright frustrated and angry with what's going on. Hey, have you been there? Totally was there. At some point, again, super vague. Um, and it was really just... Just frustrated. God, where are you in this and how do I respond properly? How do I respond in a way that's life-filled and grace-filled and not just full of me and my own issues? You know what I mean? Here we are in Isaiah. 
chapter 7, 10 to 16, you've got King Ahaz, and he's debating this with the Lord, and the Lord's speaking through Isaiah. They have different views about a coming threat. We skip the part where they describe the coming threat. But the issue is this. You've got Syria and Ephraim are making a joint military coalition. And that freaks King Ahaz out. He's like, oh, that's scary. So what he decides to do uh, as the heir of David's throne is put his trust in God. No, fails terribly, right? He's supposed to put his trust in God. This would be the helpful thing to do. But instead, he puts his faith in the king of Assyria, who's over here, and he gives him some money to come and try and take out uh, Syria, or Ephraim, part of this coalition so that he doesn't have to deal with it because he's afraid of it, right? It makes sense. He's sort of plotting something so that uh, it pays off someone to try and get them to intervene in a situation before it gets really bad for him. And we all go, yeah, I've done that too. I've also brought foreign nations to help me with my personal situations in life. But, but the, you can see the parallels, right? It's easy for us to say, here's the situation. I'm going to try and act as responsible as I can in a way that makes sense for me. Um, and, and so you, you we act on it. But the problem is, Ahaz should know, as a descendant of King David, as a representative of Israel, my firm faith should be in God first, not in this foreign power to try and save me. And so Ahaz and God are getting into it. And Isaiah calls Ahaz and all of Jerusalem, put your faith back in God. Assyria is not a reliable ally, but God is. And so in verse 11, God invites Ahaz to request a sign. And this is not very common. God often doesn't say, well, you request a sign, like set up a situation that I'll prove the thing. Um, often people like to quote the Gideon stuff, like, I put out a fleece. That's terrible. Gideon should, isn't supposed to put out the fleece. He's totally not trusting God when he throws out the fleece, right? But here's God. It's almost at this point of exasperation. He invites Ahaz to request the sign to strengthen his faith, and Ahaz hypocritically goes, well, who am I to kind of say that? And so God says, God says, listen, basically you're wearying me with all your nonsense, which is great. And then God says, if you're not going to request a sign, I'm going to give you a sign myself. And the sign is this, it's that famous announcement of a son born to a virgin whose name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And God is saying to Ahaz, I am with you in the middle of this whole political debacle that you've gotten yourself into. And before this child is, is too very old, before he can discern good and evil, right? This whole threat isn't even going to be an issue anymore. You can trust me that I will see you through this whole issue. That's the, that's the idea here. Now, the issue for us is we have, to do, we have to do justice to interpret this properly, to get Isaiah's word straight, because there's an immediate fulfillment to this. But then Matthew, hundreds of years later, says, well, no, it's being fulfilled now in Jesus. What do you do with that? Interpreters spend all sorts of time doing that. If this was a biblical studies class, we'd spend time working on that. But I'm not going to do that this morning. We're preaching, not teaching per se. The point is this. There's an immediate fulfillment where a child is born, which again proves that God is the faithful ally to King Ahaz. King Ahaz ignores that. He bribes Assyria. The issue does deflate, as God predicts, and then Assyria comes in and wipes out Israel. And so now God has to not just restore the kingdom but he also has to rescue the whole world back to himself and figure out what to do with the king, the Davidic king that's supposed to be on the throne. So he makes it even worse for him, for God. Ahaz is just this, he's just really kind of useless. What the issue is this, Ahaz's spiritual blindness causes him to think that an enemy is an ally 
and his ally in the Lord is actually an enemy. He can't discern what's right or wrong. And there's times in life where we are so certain that we know what's right, only to discover after the fact that we were so totally off the mark. We're so off the mark. This is King Ahaz here. But there's also a future fulfillment. There's an immediate thing that happens in Isaiah's time. There's a future thing. And that God is still the faithful ally who's going to bring the true divinity king who is going to set things right. And he's going to be God with us. And that's what Matthew does. He picks up the same prophecy from Isaiah and says, now it's being fulfilled here in Jesus. So that's the Isaiah bit. You get the sense from King Ahaz as he wrestles with God, as he tries to discern what to do. He ignores actually the best advice. He ignores his greatest ally and does what he thinks is right in his own eyes. And the whole plan backfires. And of course, as a king, he takes down the whole nation with him. Um, As parents, as people in business, as people at school, whatever sort of area of influence you might have, parents, you've got kids under you, you have a sway in their lives. What you do, whether you decide to follow God or not, has a direct impact on your kids. Uh, If you're in business, the way you choose to run your business or work under someone, the sort of ethics that you follow have a direct impact on how people see Christ in you or not. And so here in King Ahaz's case, we're called to realize, oh my goodness, my life with God is not just a private thing. It actually impacts the people around me. How do I respond in difficult circumstances? Now turn to Matthew 1. It's a great passage, a familiar passage, uh, full of, of, of these great things that we're so used to hearing sort of every Christmas. A couple of things I just want to mention before I really, we want to kind of hone in on Joseph here. One thing that's super encouraging is this first announcement from the angel. It's, it's really like the dawning of a new era in Israel's history. And often when, when eras shift in world history, right, like it's because of a war, like somebody died or something, you know, someone called peace. Here it's the birth of a child. And the stunning fact, again, it, it, we get so used to this that it just kind of washes over us, we don't even realize it. The stunning fact that God has come to dwell with us, and he's come to dwell with us as a baby. He's come right into the broken, ordinary uh, poverty of life, right into the midst of our humanity, and comes to dwell with us. And there's something incredibly beautiful about God choosing very ordinary Mary and Joseph in Israel to bring his purposes to pass. Doesn't choose King Herod, doesn't choose someone in authority, he chooses the lowly and the humble for whom to make his purposes come to bear on the world. And there's something very encouraging for that for you and for me, who are very ordinary people, to realize God likes using ordinary folk just like you and me. Do you feel rather sort of boring? Well, you're a good candidate for God to do something in your life, right? These are the people he uses, regular people. There's also this, this simple fact here that God, uh, he hasn't given up on you just because of your circumstances or where you come from. In fact, God uh, loves working with us in the midst of our daily, sort of everyday, ordinary life. And the theme here is this, God uses the ordinary people to bring about his extraordinary purposes, right? This is Israel, sort of a backwater country. In the, in, in the Roman Empire, right? They're under foreign occupation. Bethlehem is this little town, and here's like a teenage mother, and they're born like off in a stable, right? Jesus is born. Like this is so removed from the powers that be of the day 
And yet, here's ordinary people that God is using to bring his purposes to bear, which will have worldwide and everlasting impact, right? Incredible change. You matter to God. You matter to God. Regardless of how broken or sinful your past is, God cares for you. And when you say, no, I just don't feel I'm quite good enough, God says, you know, don't give up. I haven't given up on you. I haven't given up on you. I use the ordinary people to bring about my extraordinary purposes. Now, the angel says to name him Jesus, verse 21, right? She'll bear a son. He'll call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from our sins. And this, it, it's important to note again, Jesus is a common name. This is not a super out of the ordinary kind of name. Lots of people named their kid Jesus because it was sort of a symbolic hope of, uh, it means Yahweh saves. So you would name your kid Yahweh saves as like a hope that yes, we do want God to come and save us, right? We're not saying particularly that we think that kid is going to somehow save us, but we're, we're passing on the hope that God's going to come and intervene in our world. So it was a common name at the time. But what's really neat is the angel says, this Jesus is going to be Jesus indeed for a very particular reason. Verse 21, he's going to save his people from their sins. And this is the great fulfillment of all the Old Testament hope that God's going to show up and set things right. God's going to mend the relationships in the world. He's going to reconcile us back to himself. He's going to deal with the problem of evil and sin, uh, the punishment that is... uh, a result of our rebellion against God, he's going to come and take that upon himself so that he can redeem us and restore us back to relationship with him. And I want to read uh, just a couple passages from the Old Testament that show this theme running all through Israel's scriptures and how Jesus fulfills them here. Listen to Isaiah 53, 6. He says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. Familiar passage, right? We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And I gave the illustration some months ago, I think it was, when we were doing our Apostles' Creed series, about uh, imagining, here's, your, here's humanity's relationship with God, here's your relationship with God, and it's meant to be sort of this open communication that goes on. But then over time, uh, sin comes, this is really hard to do with holding this microphone, so pardon me, Sin shows up in our lives. We openly rebel against God. We try to find good and evil according to our own terms. Um, we ignore God in our lives. And so it blocks. This isn't helpful that it's a Bible. The illustrations break it down. I need something that's really worse. But something blocks us in our relationship with God. Jesus comes along as God with us. And he is an open relationship and communion with his Father. And what happens is this. God chooses to lay on Jesus the iniquity that we bear. And so you get this wonderful moment that looks like this. And now Jesus carries the burden of our sin and goes to the cross for it, and we can live in open communion with God. That's what's happening in Isaiah 53, 6. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Listen to Jeremiah 31. This is another great passage about what God has come to do for us in Jesus. God says this, Behold, the days are coming. I'll make a new covenant. This is a new relationship, a new arrangement with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's not going to be like the covenant that I made with their fathers back in the day when I had to take them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. 
My covenant with that with them, they broke that covenant, even though I was their husband, declares the Lord. This is the new covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. I'll put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more. And Zechariah 31.1 puts it this way. It says, On that day there will be a fountain open for the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Folks, the birth of Jesus, it fulfills all these ancient prophecies going back through Israel's scriptures of God coming to save us when we were all gone astray. And so both of these passages, they show us, it's like God's plan of reconciliation. God is going to come himself and set our world to right. He's going to rescue us from sin and death. He wants to bring us out of exile. He wants to come and dwell with us. He's using ordinary people He's at work over the long haul of history to bring his purposes to pass. Now, all of us are somewhere on this spectrum, I would say, between King Ahaz, this complete meatball, there he there, and Joseph. You can be someone who just ignores God and chooses to put your faith in someone else or just ignore uh, the whole thing altogether and just get on with life. Or you can choose to be someone who listens to God and trusts him and chooses to to let him use you in the circumstances of life. So how is Jesus calling you to himself this morning? I want us to notice the way, we talked about how Ahaz responds, but I want us to notice the way Joseph responds to what God does in his life as he's facing these difficult circumstances. So with all that background kind of in mind, let's go back to Matthew now. And really kind of focus in on what Joseph does. The first thing that Joseph does is he's actually willing to act in difficult circumstances. Some of us are just paralyzed, right? When things don't go well, we just shut down. This happens to me. If uh, if I have, Sarah and I talk about this almost every weekend. If I have sort of a plan in my head of like, on Saturday I want to do this thing. And then she shows up and she's like, actually we need to do this other thing. Oh man. I realize I have like these expectations that are unspoken, you know? And then it just sort of kiboshes me and I sort of just shut down and she's like, why are you shutting down? We have this whole conversation back and forth, right? And the, the issue is this, I can, I can choose to sort of hold my hands, my, my plans openly or, uh, and, and engage with them and make, make sense of life together with my wife, which is kind of the plan, that's kind of the point of getting married, you know? Um, or I can just kind of shut down and be like, I don't want to deal with life, I don't want to deal with your change of plans, even though it's not a change because I never told you what my plans were in the first place, but in my head it's a change of plans, right? I can, or, you know, something, some issue comes up and I'm just like, I'm just going to shut down, I need to lay on the couch. You know, Sarah will catch me, she's like, you're laying on the couch, you just laid down. I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm just beat, right? Part of it's my own mental health, but part of it is this propensity to just be like, there's an issue, I'm going to run away, <laughs> I just don't want to deal with it. Like, yeah, no. Joseph is willing to act in particularly difficult circumstances. He finds out his fiance is pregnant, and it's not him. Right? Not ideal. Not really great. It's a lot of like dramatic television shows based on like exactly this kind of scenario, right? He but instead of being kind of passive or inactive or like really brash or really rude. 
We realize, what do we read in verse 19, 20? He's a just man. He's unwilling to put her to shame. He resolves to divorce her quietly. He's considering all these things. So like he's contemplating like what to do. How do I handle this properly? How do I like deal with it well? And then he does something according to kind of the wisdom and thinking that he has. He actually, this is the other thing. Some of us are so quick to rush in, we don't actually stop to consider what to do, right? Our initial gut reaction is like, do this and say this thing, and it just gets us into trouble. But here Joseph, in the middle of his circumstances, actually stops to think about, what do I do? It doesn't paralyze him, but he's also not so brash that he just bowls over people like a bulldozer, right? He's trying to figure out what to do. One of our greatest enemies can be our spiritual apathy, which is like to just do nothing, right? And Paul, in Romans 12, he says, and I love this, he says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. So Joseph, he acts, he doesn't fall into despair, he doesn't fall into just like doing something completely idiotic, you know, but he chooses action that's thoughtful and, and, and meaningful. So that's the first thing. When facing difficult circumstances, it's important to think well about it, but also to choose to act. Don't just sit in it. The second thing is this. Joseph acts with this incredible gentleness and compassion. Now, when we hear betrothal, we just think engaged, which is true. But the custom of betrothal is really different from kind of our modern engagement, right? Part of it involved actual, like, official arrangements before witnesses and stuff. And that's why he has to actually divorce her. It's it's, it's, um, it's an actual kind of binding agreement. So he can't just sort of break it off the engagement, you know? He can't just be like, can I have the ring back kind of thing? And just sort of be like, I'm so sorry. We'll kind of go our separate ways. Um, but it actually is a binding legal thing. And so that's why he's kind of stuck. He doesn't know what to do. They're not yet married, so it would have been considered immoral for her to have any kind of sexual relations. So that means she's supposedly been unfaithful to him. Right? That would be the assumption. And that would be seen as adultery. And under Mosaic law, uh, if you are convicted of adultery, you can be stoned to death. So that's the issue at stake, right? When he says, I, I just I don't want, it's not like he just doesn't want to make her upset or he doesn't want to like, make her parents angry. He doesn't want her to face the, the potential uh, punishment that she could face. Now, that's an incredible thing when you would think, think of the incredible amount of hurt that you would be feeling, thinking that his wife, his future wife, has cheated on him. Right? When Sarah and I were engaged, if I found out that she was pregnant, I'd be very upset. But Joseph, in this case, almost, he, he, if he wanted to, if he was a different sort of guy, he could have pushed his right to have her stone. The fact that he doesn't, just it, it shows us this depth of character and compassion and righteousness uh, virtue in his own life, right? It tells us something about who he is. He doesn't want Mary formally condemned, right? He doesn't want to see that enacted. He doesn't want to put shade. He doesn't. He's not going to take delight in publicly disgracing her, right? It's easy. Many of us, I find, you know, when we're hurt, you have that urge to make sure the person that hurt you gets hurt back. Do you know that feeling? Or will publicly humiliate them. And nowadays that means Facebook, right? I will now write some sort of passive-aggressive comment about a person. And not say their name, but it will be very clear that it's sort of that person. And then I'll write something about how I'm sad and people will comment. And I'll 
feel better by how many likes I get. They are sad faces I get on my comment because I'm hurt by this person, right? It's easy to go that route. This person drives me nuts, right? I want to get back at them. Joseph doesn't do that. He keeps the wrong to He's been hurt, like seriously hurt. He keeps the wrong to himself. He's deeply wounded, seemingly by Mary, but he still chooses to care for Mary. And that takes a person of character, right? To act with compassion and gentleness to the people that have wounded us. Now, if you, I'm sure you can think of it. Who are the people that have wounded you most deeply in your life? I'm sure you can think of a few. Is your natural inclination to hold a sort of grudge or bitterness towards them? Or are you choosing or trying to choose? This is a process. This is an easy one. To, to try and act with gentleness and compassion towards the people that are over you. That's a hard thing. But there's something in, in Joseph that models that for us. He doesn't make it about himself. He chooses to act with compassion and gentleness towards Mary. So first thing, he chooses to act. The second thing is he acts in a really particular way, which is with compassion instead of vengeance and retribution, right? But the third thing, and this is perhaps the most important thing, is this. When God speaks into the situation, Joseph is obedient. God spoke into Ahaz's situation, and Ahaz ignores God and says, nope, I'm going to figure it out on my own. But when God speaks into Joseph's situation, he intervenes, he shows up, Joseph responds with obedience. And I'm, I was reminded as I was working on this passage of a prayer that we often pray on our Sunday night prayer group, which is, of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Right? So here's Joseph. He's planned his way. He's using what wisdom he has to try and make the best decision. But when God shows up, Joseph is willing to hold his plans openly and let God change them. He has a good plan. It's not a bad plan. But when he gets a word from the Lord, he's willing to adapt the plan. Right? He holds it open-handedly. He's not clutching them. He gets moving on what he thinks is right. He's not paralyzed with, you know, he doesn't not do anything. He's moving. He's moving forward with his plans, but he has an ear to God's voice to speak into his decisions. And what I love about this is, is his faithfulness and obedience to God take priority over what he thinks was right to do. Uh, one of my professors in school used to say sometimes our best laid plans are laid low. Sometimes that we can put all this work into trying to plan what we think will work best in our lives. And suddenly that gets kind of pulled up from our heads. And, and all sorts of situations that can do that, right? We're planning for a job and it doesn't work out. Or we're planning to move. We were hoping to potentially move this fall and, and it didn't pan out. And that's okay. Hold that openly. Lord, Lord, you direct our steps. I'm still going to act as faithfully and as compassionately as I can and I go through life, but Lord, you direct my steps. That's what Joseph shows us here. It's a good question for us. Are you willing to hold your plans in life openly to make room for God to show up and direct you? Those of you who are students who are here home from school, you're making decisions about what kind of careers you want to face, you're spending a significant amount of money or going into a significant amount of debt, potentially, 
as you pursue that, I would encourage you to hold your hands openly. That even as you take steps and you register for classes and you go through the rigmarole, take tests and all the rest, I've done it, I hear you. I know what it's like. Hold your hands openly say, Lord, um, I want to follow what you have for me. Here's what I think it is. I'm going to pursue that as best as I can. But if you show up and say, I need you to shift your major, I need you to change what you're doing, how will you respond? Will you respond like Ahaz? No, thank you. Or will you respond like Joseph? I remember when I went on our study sabbatical, when I went back to school uh, a few years ago, uh, you as the church, the church has changed a lot over that time, but as the church um, said, we're going to hold the hold our plans openly. We would love you, Nick, to come back, but we're not requiring you to come back. We're going to we're going to hold our plans openly and let the Lord lead him back. With that. that was a really good thing to do, and it showed a measure of faithfulness to God and willingness to 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 be sensitive to the moving of the Spirit. And that has worked out well for us, both us as a family, but for us as a church. So Joseph is willing to act. He's willing to let his character shine through, totally different from Ahaz. He's also willing to respond to God when God shows up in his life. And the fourth thing that happens, after he gets the message from God, he perseveres to actually see it through, right? He actually does the stuff. He's faithful to Mary. He's faithful to the child. He acts, he hears from God, then he carries on with the task at hand. Folks, this is how God so often chooses to work, is with not perfect people, broken people, ordinary people. God entering right into the mess and the muddle of human life. Joseph's life was in a mess at this point. God enters right into the mess of your life and my life. This is how he works out his salvation. I think we can all learn something when we compare Ahaz and Joseph. The main thing is that God... God's the primary actor in my world, not me. It's easy to make my life about me. Turns out God is doing stuff. God's actually at work in my city, in my family, in the lives of my kids. And it's up to me to be aware of that, sensitive to that, and come alongside what God is doing. But God's the primary actor, not me. The second thing is that God speaks and moves in human history. This is not sort of beyond him. He doesn't sort of just stand afar off. He's involved. And the third thing is that God's actually bringing his purposes to pass. And I think Joseph shows us the way in which we can respond well to the God who enjoys using ordinary people, right? He's willing to act. He resolves himself to action. He's marked by compassion and wisdom. He considers what to do. He's obedient to God's voice. And then he perseveres with what God's calling him to do. So here's the summons for us this morning. We've looked at a lot. We've talked about a lot. But I want you to think back again, King Ahaz and Joseph. Before communion, before we come to communion, I'd like to invite us uh, to a bit of a time of prayer. Both of these guys were faced with difficult situations. One issues far beyond his control, right? Countrywide sort of issues. But still a question of how to act. Joseph dealing with an issue very close to home, still wondering, how do I act well in this? One chooses to trust God, one doesn't. And I want to ask this morning, are you in a place like Joseph or Ahaz where you're faced with a particularly difficult situation in your life? Are there things going on in your life right now, at work, maybe in your marriage, 
Uh, maybe at school, I don't know. But are you in maybe a medical issue, financial issue, things with your kids? Is there something going on in your life where you, uh, like Joseph, want to respond as best as you can? Where you want to hear, what does the Lord want to say to the situation right now? Or you need to hear what God has in this moment. And what I'd like us to do, um, if you're in a place where you just want to respond, I want to be more like Joseph and not like Ahaz. I want to respond well, God, to what you have for me, but I, I, I want people to come alongside me. Um, I need to hear from you. We're, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and they're just going to play. We're going to sing a song together. Yeah, but if you would like prayer before we hit communion, um, I'm going to invite the prayer team guys to be available. we just like to take a few minutes to pray during the song. We're going to sing the song together. But if you would like to come up for prayer, if you want to be more like Joseph and less like Ahaz, uh, you're facing a difficult situation in life, whatever it is, I would love to come and pray for you. So would you stand with me as the team plays, uh, leads us in this song, just before we head to the table. And if you're in a place this morning where you feel you could just really use prayer, you'd like to hear from the Lord, maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and you, you want to follow him, let's sing this song together. And if you'd like prayer, I invite you just to come up to the front we're going to take a few minutes to pray. Just as the worship team plays, and then we're going to head to, head to the table. So if you like prayer this morning, come on up. And see what else we need. In the morning, when I rise, in the morning, when I rise, in the morning, when I rise, just give me Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can. 